Now, last week we, we looked at love a little bit and saw that even the most fantastic acts of ministry, if they don't have this love, are rendered to be nothing. And what a relief it is for me to get to this passage where it describes what love is and see that it's not a feeling or an emotion, it's action. So if you're a Christian, you have not been called to feel a certain way about your fellow Christians. Feelings come and go, and you really can't control your feelings, but you have been called to a determination to bless your brothers and sisters in Christ. You have been called to act in a loving way, to be a blessing toward them. So this passage, there's four verses and there's 15 verbs. Love is action. In our culture, we tend to think of love more as a feeling of affection. But ultimately, love is is action. Feelings of affection will definitely follow and they'll be a part of it. But it's action. Your small acts of love are big in God's eyes. So our job this morning, we're going to go over these verses together and look at each verb. Our job this morning is to let this passage run in our spirits, kind of like a computer diagnostic tool. I had a laptop recently that would continually just stop working, and so I would run all these diagnostic things, and you'd sit there and watch the little taskbar slowly inch along, and some, some program was running trying to see what's wrong. That's sort of what we'll do this morning with these verses. We'll just let this run like a diagnostic. Just let it listen to the God's Word and let the Holy Spirit reveal to you any area in which maybe you have sin here where you're not being loving. And you'll take that to the Lord in repentance like we talked about already. Or let Him reveal to you ways in which God is bringing about this kind of love among us. And we can rejoice in those things. So we'll dig right in and Lord willing, we'll walk out of here honoring God by the way we love one another as a church. So I would like to pray first, though, because anytime you come to God's Word, it's not an academic exercise. It's a spiritual exercise, and we want to not just understand it, but be transformed by it. And that's a work that only God can do. So let's pray together before we begin. Father, you have given us your Word to look at together on Mother's Day And we ask that this time would not be wasted in any way, that in these short moments together, we would hear your voice, that your word would do its work and its full power in our hearts, transforming us by the renewing of our minds. So would you now please open your word to us and open us to your word in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. So what is love? Verse 4 begins to explain it to us. Love is patient and kind. Love is patient and kind. These two ideas are somewhat connected. It's the willingness to wait and a tenderness of heart. Love is characterized by willingness to wait and a tenderness of heart. In the Corinthian church, they had a lot of issues. At the core of their issues was they were not loving each other. And so they were impatient with each other. And they were unkind toward each other. They were actually suing each other. They were taking each other to court, bringing each other into lawsuits together. They were so unloving toward each other. And there were factions and divisions among them. My, my favorite example of their impatience and unkindness is the way they took the Lord's Supper. You know, the Lord's Supper we take together as a church as an expression of unity, and we eat bread that represents Jesus' 
body broken for us, and we drink juice representing his blood shed for us. The Corinthians were using this as an opportunity to be selfish, impatient, and unkind toward each other. So the wealthier Corinthians, who had servants to do a lot of the work around the house, could get there real early, and they just gobbled up all the best food. For them, it was more of an actual meal. And they ate all the best food, and they drank the wine until they were drunk. And then when the poorer Corinthian Christians arrived, because they had to finish up the chores, that was all gone already. The richer Christians didn't care about it. So in many different ways, the Corinthians were failing in this. Now, you might be thinking, well, we're not like that. I have never rushed the communion table and gathered up all the little communion crackers and started chomping them down. I've never treated people like that. And you're right, and I'm glad. But let's let the Word do its examination of us here. I think you'll agree with me if you think about the church at large, not just Doolin's Grove Church, but the church in general, that we do have a strange quickness to turn on each other. Have you seen that before in churches? We have a strange quickness to turn on each other. Some of you have been a part of ugly church situations where people turned on each other. What is the deal with that? Why, why would that be? I think one reason might be what Paul's addressing here. I think sometimes we get false expectations as to what church life is supposed to be like. And we think that because we're all Christians, or mostly all of us are Christians, that we're all perfect people. And so church life will be us holding hands and skipping through a field of daisies to a rainbow of joy. But that's not the case because we're not perfect. Only Jesus Christ is perfect. We are all people in progress. We are all construction projects. Messy people being put back together through the ongoing work of Jesus Christ in our lives. And so we will have to be patient and tenderhearted with each other. We cannot expect perfection from one another. You are here to provide padding for people in progress. I'm not sure why you think you're here, but God saved you and put you into a local church family to provide padding, a padding of patience for people in progress. Now, you know when there's that much alliteration in one sentence that it's biblical. You are here to provide a padding of patience for people in progress. You get to do that for one another. Out in the world, people will be impatient. People will be unkind. People will be quick to to crush one another whenever they get the chance. Whenever they see a failure, they'll be quick to slam the door on them. But not here, not us. We have been given so much patience and so much kindness from God the Father through Jesus Christ. That now we've been put here for the express purpose of providing that for one another. Love is patient and kind. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, We urge you, talking to a a church, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. All these different types of Christians who are struggling in these different types of way, this patience is something that you just do with everybody. Be patient and kind. And I want to thank you as a church. I see a lot of evidence of this Christ-like loving patience and kindness, this willingness to wait, and this tender-heartedness. And I'm really grateful for that. 
I see it when one of our members is suffering. You know, when you're suffering, you're not able to really serve others the way maybe you want to. You become a little more the one in need. Nobody likes to be in that position, but we all are in that position from time to time. And I'm grateful for how the church comes around people who are suffering, in need, struggling in different ways, with patience and kindness. People who are less mature spiritually. I feel like the Lord has blessed us and that many people will come around those who need to grow up spiritually with patience and kindness. And that's really good. And I appreciate that. Love is patient and kind. He goes on, love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. Now, these ideas are all connected and they have to do with this, with an idea of competition. Sometimes we can adopt a competitive approach to being the church together. Envy is intense negative feelings over someone else's success. Boasting is bragging beyond proportion about our own success. And arrogance is my favorite of these three ideas, and biblically it's the idea of being puffed up, being inflated. I remember a cartoon. It wasn't Goofy. It was Goofy's son. You know, the Disney character. I can't remember what his son's name is. But he was wanting to to start working out, him and his friend. His friend was real overweight, but so the goofy son thought he was pretty awesome, pretty fit. But once they started lifting weights, his friend actually put on muscle faster. Anybody else see this cartoon or did I dream it? So goofy son put on some sort of a wetsuit and put a nozzle in there to an air compressor and inflated his wetsuit so that he would look big and muscular. And of course, it's a cartoon, so a breeze came and he bounced down the beach and it was funny. But that's the idea here, is that we are often tempted to inflate ourselves, to puff ourselves up, to try to appear to be better than we really are. And there's no place for that in the church whatsoever. Usually that, this idea of arrogance, this being puffed up, is placed alongside a contrasting idea of building other people up. That's what we're called to do as Christians. There's no reason to try to look better than we are God knows us down to our very core. He knows all about us. And he loves us. Through Christ Jesus, he's forgiven us for every imperfection. And he's cleaning us up. And he's made us right with him. So we have nothing to hide or no reason to pretend in any way. We can just completely put our wetsuits and our air compressors away. And we can get to work building one another up. Again, I don't know why you think you're here as part of the church, but this is why to build each other up in Christ. Not to try to look good, but to try to help others move forward as Christians. You're free from all that, that the world is obsessed with trying to look good. You don't have to do that. Now, you probably think, well, we're not like that. We would never be arrogant or envious or boastful. But again, let's let God's Word do its work and acknowledge that none of us is perfect in this, and I guarantee we all have remnants of this in us. Have you ever looked at somebody who has their lives more together than you and felt some negative emotion toward them? Somebody, maybe you're having a lot of family distress and their family is having a beautiful picnic every day and they just look so happy and some part of you has a negative feeling toward them. Somebody just seems put together even just in appearance and you just can't seem to get there. And their finances are more put together. 
or they get more applause, their reputations are more put together than yours, and you feel some negativity toward them. That's envy. What about boasting? Is it possible that some of our social media posting is actually social media boasting? Could it be that we're presenting this false image of who we are out there digitally to try to look good? Could it be that it's actually a visual form of bragging sometimes? What about arrogance? Could it be that we approach church in an arrogant way sometimes? It could be as simple and subtle as entering the church and getting ready for church in the morning, mainly asking the question, what will people think of me? Rather than asking the question, how can I build these people up today? How can I encourage them? How can I learn what's going on in their lives so I can pray for them? How can I offer good godly advice today? Behind all this is a lack of love. Now, did you know, I'm not going to read it, but in Ephesians 4, did you know that it teaches that my job as your pastor is not actually to build you up in Christ? Rather, my job as a pastor is to equip you to build each other up in Christ. That's how the church is supposed to work. I heard one pastor say, he was exaggerating to make his point, but he said, when I became a pastor, I I left the ministry. I was more in the ministry when I was a church member. But when I became a pastor, I got underneath the church members to equip and serve them to enable them to do the ministry of building one another up in Christ. See, the church builds itself up. That's why you're here, to build up the people around you. You're not here to observe or to witness and be a spectator or even even really to receive. You're here to build others up. In Christ, you've got a very important job to do. If Doolin's Grove is going to be built up in Christ, it's only going to happen because we build each other up in Christ. And you say, well, you should do a better job of equipping us. And you're right, and I'm trying. So take it easy. Patience and kindness. I do see a lot of this among us, and I'm really grateful for that. And I want to thank you for that, too, and affirm you in that, because you do. And in a very large way, build one another up. I see it often in casual conversations and how we pray for one another and the work behind the scenes that people do to serve each other, and I'm really grateful for that. I want to encourage you to continue that. I see people being glad for one another's success genuinely. I see people speaking well of others and humbly of themselves, and that's good. That's Christ-like. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. Next, we'll look at the fact that it is not rude and it does not insist on its own way. Rudeness is the idea of indecency, impropriety. Insisting on its own way is the idea of seeking its own advantage. The Corinthians were professionals at this. We've been studying the book for a while. The Corinthians were really good at seeking their own way and being rude to one another. Now, again, you might already be thinking, well, we're not rude to each other, and we don't insist on our own way, but let's let God's Word do its work. Let's ask ourselves, is our disposition toward the church one of what's in it for me or one of what's in me for them? Is it one of how can the church serve me? 
Or is it how can I serve them? Love serves them. I don't know if you realize or not, but you're called as a church to submit to one another. There's several couples in here that I've gone through premarital counseling with, and we look at Ephesians chapter 5, which is one of the hallmark passages about marriage. And it's all about how husbands and wives are supposed to submit to one another in distinct ways. And what's interesting to me about it is what it's really about is the church. The passage that leads into it talks about how the church is supposed to submit to one another. We are in a relationship of mutual submission to one another. We're supposed to yield to one another. Now, often I see this happen among us, too, and I rejoice in that. You guys behave properly toward each other most of the time, and that's good. You'd be surprised how frequently church folks can behave very rudely to one another. And I'm thankful that I really don't feel like we have a culture where that's a problem. I'm grateful for that. I think, by and large, we do a pretty good job of yielding to one another. When people have different ideas or preferences or decisions, I think we're pretty considerate of one another, but we're not perfect. So let's let the Lord reveal to us where we have room to grow here. Let's keep moving. The next idea, love is not irritable or resentful. This is a lot like patience and kindness. Irritable means quick to fits of anger. Just throwing a fit, throwing a hissy fit, as it's been called. Resentful is the idea of keeping records of wrongs for retaliation. Keeping records of the times that people have wronged us. So that in some way or another, maybe one day we can get them back. The Corinthians, this is so out of hand that they were suing each other in court. I'm not aware of any open lawsuits among us right now, so that's a win. But that doesn't mean that we don't have any of this. So just ask yourself, do I have a secret ledger of the wrongs people have committed against me? Do I have sort of an oral history among my family where we rehearse the wrongs others have dealt upon us? That's unloving. We can't do that anymore. God has forgiven us so thoroughly through Christ that we are now forgivers. It's who we are. We have to forgive. Can't keep records of wrongs. The next idea in verse 6, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. This is connected with envy. Rejoicing at wrongdoing seems to mean, it's not real clear, but it seems to mean taking pleasure over other people's failures. Rejoicing with the truth seems to mean rejoicing when people are living in accordance with the truth, the gospel. Corinthians were bad at this. You may feel like we're good at this. But let's think about it for a minute. Do you ever feel that twinge of secret pleasure when somebody else fails? I mean, honestly, do you? I think that we all probably have something in us that is at least tempted to feel some secret pleasure when somebody else fails. Because it takes the pressure off a little bit. In our culture, we are in a competitive mode where we're comparing ourselves to each other. And so if they failed... That takes the pressure off of me a little bit. I don't have to be that much more perfect than they are. But that's unloving. That's not who we are in Christ. I think this is a lot of what is behind gossip. When gossip is going on, I think that's a lot of why. Because we just like to feel good, warming ourselves by the fire of somebody else's failure. And it's evil, and it's unloving. I still like the idea 
of if anybody in the church begins to gossip, hanging up on them immediately. I really like that idea. I really encourage you to do that. We're all tempted to gossip sometimes. If somebody's gossiping you, they get you on the phone, don't tell anybody that I told you this. Probably right at that moment you need to hang up. Probably right just at that phrase, don't, don't tell them that you heard it from me. Click. Would y'all do that? I think that would be fantastic. Or if you're in personal conversation and it starts to go that direction, just a gentle slap across the face. Not like a, but like a, just a, just something to break out of that. We need a zero tolerance policy for gossip. What I would like to see is us looking for opportunities for good gossip. Now that's a contradiction. There's no such thing as good gossip, but opportunities to build one another up and build one another up in each other's esteem and say, you know, I, such and such taught Sunday school the other week, and man, they did a good job. God has really gifted them for that. Or did you know such and such is caring for their aging parents day and night? I don't know if you knew that they were doing this. Pray for them. They are engaged in incredible ministry behind the scenes that nobody knows about, and I admire them so much. Let's, let's look for opportunities for good gossip, and let's never, ever, ever, ever for a second tolerate bad gossip. Because that's who we are. We're, we're Christians. We're growing Christ-like. We don't rejoice over wrongdoing. We rejoice in the truth. Now, lastly, verse 7, I'm not going to expound on. It just sort of sums it all up beautifully. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Isn't that beautiful? That's what love is. That's what Christian love is like. It never tires of supporting people. It never loses faith. It never exhausts hope for people. There are no hopeless cases when Christian love is present. It never gives up. This is the kind of love, as we talked about last week, that is the authenticating seal on any Christian ministry. God has called us to do great things for the kingdom, but we cannot do any of that if we don't have this kind of love for one another. This is where it all begins. A while back, I did a study of the spiritual gifts It's in the chapter right before this. In chapter 12, the idea is that the Holy Spirit has given us spiritual gifts, and I had like listed out the spiritual gifts and tried to understand them, and I was teaching a class on it. And for each one, I decided I was going to try to think of practical ways people can use these specific gifts. And I was amazed to find out, I didn't expect this, each one, the very first step, if people were really going to try to use those spiritual gifts, was to get into relationships in the church. The spiritual gifts are useless apart from being in spiritual relationships in the church. And I see here is the same thing with love. You have been lavished, drenched with God's unconditional love through Jesus Christ. And it's not just so you can hoard it and enjoy it, although you should enjoy it. It's such a blessing. It's so that you can then turn into a a transmitter of that love to other people. And the first step to being able to do that is getting ingrained in relationships in the church. This is your arena for enjoying and participating in and offering this uniquely Christian love to people. That's why, as as I've told you before, I'm beginning to see church membership as a spiritual discipline on the same level as Bible reading and prayer. We have to do this together. Otherwise, we don't do it at all. Let's love each other with patience and kindness and generosity and humility. Let's build one another up in Christ with propriety and selflessness and gentleness 
and forgiveness. That's how God has loved us. That's how we're now called to love one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your mercy and grace and forgiveness and kindness toward us through Christ. Thank you for your patience toward us. Thank you for bearing with us. Thank you for never giving up on us. Lord, help us to love one another in the same way. In Jesus' name, amen.